Welcome to Rocking Your Prize. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, Andrew Tate gained notoriety on social media for espousing sexism. A new public opinion poll by YouGov rocks my priors. Favorability is far higher than I expected. 14% of young British men, that is age between 18 and 29, agree that a wife is her husband's property. That's totally out of whack. So does this reflect genuine resentment of women's objective gains in education and employment, as well as rejection on dating apps? Or should we blame social media? Now, determining media impact is really challenging because consumption does reflect demand. But looking back through human history, as well as more recent studies on corporate algorithms, we can posit a likely explanation. Rich, successful people are widely revered. Wielding influence and charisma, they can steer public opinion, especially if they're boosted by corporate algorithms. Now, before getting into that, let me just describe for you the the YouGov data. So, have you heard of Andrew Tate? 68% of British men say yes, and that's highest among young men. 93% have heard of him. Do you have a favourable view of him? 12% of British men say yes. So that's a minority, right? But among 18 to 29-year-olds, 27% have a favourable view of him. Now, what about, do you like uh, Andrew Tate's views on work and success? 11%, no, 16% of British men say yes. 38% of young British men say yes. So So a lot of young men really like his stuff on work and success. On masculinity, young men say 24%. They like what he says. What about how women should be treated? Again, 24% of young men in Britain are saying they like what Andrew Tate says. And then if you look at um, Andrew Tate's specific, specific statements, like that it's wrong for women to have had lots of sexual partners, that it's a husband's duty to provide and protect, protect, uh, protect and provide for his wife, that a wife is her husband's property, a man should work and a woman should stay at home, you've got about 14, 12% of British people, British young men, say yes to all of that. Now, what's strange here is that that's not the consensus in Britain. You know, only a tiny minority of all adult men agree. Only 5% of all British men say a wife is her husband's property. That's not, you know, that's not British society. But there's this sudden spike in support among the young British men who've heard of him and who watch him. So what's going on? Well, maybe if we step back a bit and and think about human history and ideological persuasion, rich, successful people throughout time have been incredibly persuasive, especially if they're charismatic. Rich, successful people are typically revered and respected as knowledgeable leaders. Um, you may ref- uh, remember my previous podcast with Cecilia Ridgway and her excellent book, Status. This is something that Asimoglu and Johnson also talk about in their new book uh, on, on power and prosperity. They say, we tend to learn from and listen to those who are more eminent in society. Our willingness to follow social status and prestige and imitate su- successful individuals is so deep in our psyche that it appears to be ingrained. If you are rich or politically powerful, you will command social status, which then makes you more persuasive. I quote. So they give the example of the financial crisis. Heads of big banks are respected for their wealth, their success, and their specialized knowledge. 
after the Wall Street crisis, the financial sector and its allies convinced the public to give insurance company AIG a bailout of $182 billion and pay half a billion in bonuses to those who'd wrecked the company. Right? That's a great example of ideological power and persuasion. Now, ideological influence is not just a function of success, but also social networks and institutions. So as I discuss here in one of my papers called Politicizing Inequality, the Power of Ideas, Latin American media was overwhelmingly owned and controlled by whites who represented indigenous people as backward savages. They set the agenda and they naturalized inequalities which were largely taken as inevitable and unchangeable. Likewise for US banks, uh, I quote Asimoglu and Johnson again, they say that executives and board members belong to social networks that had enormous economic power and propagated those ideas. Now let me come to the modern era of corporate algorithms. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Instagram, as I've written before, they spread hate speech and misinformation because their algorithms elevate sensational, radicalizing articles. They also uh, create filter bubbles, a term coined by Eli Parisa, because they show people stories that fit with their priors. Corporate quests for advertising revenue then create social networks that augment extremism. extremism. Explain Asimoglu and Johnson again. So corporate algorithms are a kind of institution. They set the rules of the digital game. Asimoglu and Johnson don't actually use that terminology, but to me it seems consistent with their wider theory. So putting this all together, Andrew Tate is a multi-millionaire businessman, frequently seen with pretty young women in private jets and super yachts. And as an ex-kickboxer, he's also physically fit. Then his confidence and charisma amp up the appeal, creating what we call an influencer. Because he embodies success, whatever he said was bound to get traction. Algorithms then probably cocooned his fans by propagating misogynist filter bubbles. Now, after concerted campaigning, social media companies have banned Tate. But they've nevertheless maintained the algorithms that turbocharged his popularity. So those who value gender equality might want to change the rules of the game. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Alice Evans, and this is Rocking Your Prize. Take care.